we've been talking about letting God help us in the area of our finances for the last several weeks. And I don't know why it is, but when it comes to money, when it comes to giving, people seem to get pretty weird about that. They, they seem to get a little defensive about that. Now, Pastor Tony Evans wrote this in his book, The Kingdom Agenda. He said, any discussion of economics that does not include God is a travesty because he is the author of all wealth. God owns it all. As the psalmist said, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Communism teaches that the government owns everything. Capitalism teaches that the individual owns everything. Christianity, on the other hand, teaches that God owns everything. And that is truth, but does it really matter? Everett Piper, in his book, The Wrong Side of the Door, Why Ideas Matter, talks about the animated movie Polar Express, where Tom Hanks plays the conductor of a train that takes passengers on a magical Christmas Eve trip to the North Pole. All along the way, the children on the journey must decide if they believe in Christmas and one boy in particular has his doubts, and the train ride represents the struggle. Is Christmas real, or is it just make-believe? And at the end of the movie, the little boy is trying desperately to determine what to think of his adventure. What should he believe? What is true? What is false? And the conductor, Tom Hanks, then turns to the boy and he says, the one thing about trains, it doesn't matter where you're going. What matters is deciding to get on. Now, is that really true? I mean, it doesn't matter what train you decide to get on. Piper continues, in the 1990s, there was another movie, a historical drama, that also featured a train ride. This train, however, was not leading to the magical snow-filled skies of the North Pole, but instead to a mysterious and ash-laden winter of places such as Auschwitz and Dachau. The movie was Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List, and in this film, we see that it does indeed matter which train you choose to get on. Who can watch fellow human beings herded as cattle into boxcars bound for the furnaces of a Nazi prison camp and argue that it doesn't matter where the train is going? Who would dare tell those Jews that the joy is in the journey and that the destination is of little consequence? It's apparent that some trains lead to good and some trains lead to evil. Last week, Pastor Bill explained that the choices we make have consequences. The choices we make have consequences. Today, I want to remind you that the decisions we make determine our destiny. The decisions we make determine our destiny. And that's why we need to ensure that we make the right decisions. We have been in this series of messages, the new ABCs of financial freedom, and I hope you've already gotten on board 
uh, with what we've learned so far. I also hope today that you'll decide once and for all that you're going to quit playing games with the money that God gives you and you're going to do things God's way. Proverbs chapter 16 reminds us how important it is for us to do things his way. Look at these verses. The first nine verses say this. People may make plans in their minds, but only the Lord can make them come true. You may believe that you are doing right, but the Lord will judge your reasons. Depend on the Lord in whatever you do and your plans will succeed. The Lord makes everything go as he pleases. He has even prepared a day of disaster for evil people. The Lord hates those who are proud. They will surely be punished. Love and truth bring forgiveness of sin. By respecting the Lord, you will avoid evil. When people live so that they please the Lord, even their enemies will make peace with them. It is better to be poor and right than to be wealthy and dishonest. People may make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. Eight times in nine verses, the passage says, the Lord. No matter what we do, the Lord ultimately is the one in charge. You might say he's the one conducting things behind the scenes in our life. And I know some of you have thought that this series was about money. In my mind, in the mind of our church leaders, this series is really about something else, something totally different. This is really about making the decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's really about getting out of the driver's seat and letting Jesus control your life and where you end up. And many of you have been Christ followers for a long time. You think that you made Jesus the Lord of your life years and years ago. But Jesus seems to think we struggle with that decision. Look at what he says in Luke chapter 6. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? It's a fair question. It really is. Why would we call him Lord, which means our boss or our master or our dictator? Why would we call him our dictator and refuse to do what he dictates? Why would we call him our boss and refuse to do what he asks us to do? And in Luke chapter 6, Jesus goes on and he, he says that people who hear his words and put them into practice, build on a firm foundation that stands up to the storms of life. But people who hear his words and don't put it into practice build without a foundation and their lives collapse when the storms hit. Here's the bottom line of what we've been trying to teach you. If you want to build a great life, a life that's blessed in every area, not just in finances, then you have to have the right foundation. You have to decide that you're going to do it God's way. Verse 3 of that passage in Proverbs 16 kind of sums it all up. It says, depend on the Lord in whatever you do and your plans will succeed. So when we do things God's way, we can enjoy his blessings and we can enjoy his supernatural provision in our lives. Over the past several weeks, we've learned that if we want to achieve financial freedom, we need to follow some steps. 
The first step was to change your attitude and acknowledge that God is sovereign, that God is in control of our lives. The second was to avoid the bondage of debt. The third that Pastor Bill talked to you about last week was to choose to honor God with our finances by making tithing or giving 10% the centerpiece of our financial plan. And today we want to examine one more step on the road to financial freedom, and that is to decide to follow God's plan and enjoy the blessings that come from obedience. And that really is our focus today. We, will we stop playing games with the money that God has given us? And will we decide to change our lives by obeying God's plan and doing things His way in your finances and in every area of your life? Will you decide to stop giving lip service to Jesus being the manager and the boss and the Lord of your life? And will you really begin to obey Him and what he asked you to do. Now, I've been assuming throughout this series that all of us want God's wisdom on how to deal with our finances. Today, I am going to assume that all of us really do want to obey Jesus, that we want to obey Jesus in this area of our lives, in all areas of our lives. So let's talk about how to decide to follow God's plan. First, Stop trying to have it both ways. Stop trying to have it both ways. Remember two weeks ago when we talked about the fact that the borrower is slave to the lender and we talked about, we pointed out that when we're in debt, we serve someone other than God and that even though we want to serve God and serve only God and be 100% committed to him, we can't because we have a mortgage or other debt that keeps us enslaved to whoever loaned us money. But still people are seeking deeper and deeper into debt every day. And far too many people today are trying to live the American dream and live for God at the same time. They're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to have it all financially and still act as if they're okay with God. And there were some people in the Bible that tried to do this. I mean, in the Old Testament, after David died, the king started to do evil in God's sight. A man named Ahab became king, and he disobeyed God. And according to the Bible, he does so much evil that he does more evil than all of the other kings before him. That's a lot of evil. And Elijah is the prophet at that time, and he decides to prove that there really is only one true God. And so he sets up this contest between himself as God's prophet and 450 prophets of Baal, who was the most popular false god of that time. And by the way, um, if you go with us in November to, to Israel, we're going to see this spot. We'll see exactly where this happened. But when the people of Israel gathered to watch the contest, look at what Elijah said to them. Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you try to have it both ways? If the Lord is God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. And the people did not say a word. Now, 
many of the people were trying to have it both ways. They were still doing some of the things that good Jewish people would do, and they were still doing some of the things that good followers of Baal would do. They were trying to follow both God and Baal, and Elijah says, you can't. You can't have it both ways. He tries to get them to make a decision, and notice they didn't say a word. They didn't say, we are totally committed to God, nor did they say, it's Baal that we choose to follow. They just didn't say anything. They couldn't decide. Well, in truth, they had decided. They had decided they really wanted to have it both ways. Their hearts were divided. Some here today might need to admit that they're living with divided hearts. I mean, part of your heart belongs to Jesus. That's why you're here right now. But the fact is, part of your heart might have been stolen away by the promise that money can buy happiness or the joy that would come from newer and nicer things. And in truth, some of you want it both ways. And today, if you're serious about finding financial freedom, if you're serious about Jesus being your boss, your manager, your Lord, you have to decide. You have to decide, I can't have it both ways. I can't do my finances the American way and still claim to follow Jesus. And that brings us to our second decision. If you are serious about deciding to follow God's plan, you have to decide and declare, I will do it his way. You have to decide to follow God completely, to follow him completely. And that isn't an easy decision. It isn't a casual decision. It isn't an uh, emotional decision, and it certainly isn't a one-time decision. It's not something you decide just one time. This is a decision of obedience. This is a decision that says every day in every situation I will do whatever it is that Jesus wants me to do. Every day in every situation I will do what he wants me to do even if it's hard, even if it seems old-fashioned, even if it seems politically incorrect, even if it takes more time than the way I want to do it. You decide, I'm going to follow God completely. Look at what Jesus says about this decision in John 14. Those who know my commands and obey them are the ones who love me. And obedience to Jesus is a mark of our love for him. And Jesus' brother James said this, Do what God's teaching says. When you only listen and do nothing, you are fooling yourselves. When we listen to what the Bible teaches and we don't put it into practice, we deceive ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves, and we're pretty good at that sometimes. We're good at rationalizing the reason why it's okay for us in our situation to do what we want to do rather than what Jesus has asked us to do. And we do that in a lot of areas. In certain situations, we can ignore what the Bible says about lying or gossip or sexual boundaries or honoring and following our parents or our governmental and church leaders. And as we've been talking about, often we have fallen into the trap of thinking that we can do things our own way financially. 
Today I want you to hear from a couple who have learned some of the lessons that we're trying to teach. Watch this video. I'm Paul, and this is Kimberly. Uh, we started our journey of getting out of debt about five years ago. Uh, we had a mess of debt. We had about $70,000 worth of credit card uh, debt, student loans, um, a 401k loan. So trying to get out of that mess, I decided to pick up a book that I had had for about eight years called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And after reading the book, I was totally hooked. And so I decided to go out and buy another Dave Ramsey product called Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University takes uh, the Bible's teachings about um, money and relationships and puts it into a nine-week course. Paul had bugged me about these videos and um, we talked through the workbooks and after that it really changed my attitude about our finances and how we were working things out. And we decided that managing God's money God's way was the better way to handle our finances. So we started budgeting together, started talking about all of our purchases we were making together, and we started paying off debt as fast as we possibly could. Tithing was my biggest hang-up. I felt like tithing was throwing 10% of my money out the window every single month. Um, I felt like I could manage that 10% better than giving it to the church and not knowing, you know, where it was going um, Kim finally uh, convinced me to try it out and I can say almost immediately after we actually started tithing correctly um, we started being blessed in different ways. Um, I got better job opportunities kind of just popped up. Uh, we actually started uh, weirdly getting checks in the mail um, for you know just random stuff popping up. Yeah we got rebates for insurance and just random windfalls and it was immediately after the tithing process began and we knew that God was blessing us for our obedience. So it was originally supposed to take us until this year, five years from start to finish, to pay off all of our debt. Um, after we started doing things the right way, it actually accelerated our timeline to the point where we ended up paying it off in 2017, two years early. Getting out of the bondage of debt allows you to make choices you wouldn't otherwise be able to make. Uh, for us, that was me being able to quit my job and stay home and take care of the kids and homeschool our kids and have that time with them. And the time that I have at home to take care of my family has really been a great reward for our entire household. When you are addressing your debt and your finances, this is something that you need to be doing with your spouse together. It's not yours and mine, it's ours. And you really have to take ownership of that together. So we started teaching FPU back in 2015 because we felt really strongly about trying to help others get out of debt like we did. Um, so we teach the class about once or twice a year. Um, I'd highly recommend taking the class, but if you can't, these sermons that we've had here at Impact about the ABCs of financial freedom are spot on. So listen to God's word on handling money. Start tithing and get out from under debt. You won't regret it. I think I understood their story. Did, did you catch that they got out of $70,000 worth of debt in three years? That's what I think I caught. And uh, that they went 
they got out of debt faster after they started obeying God by giving 10% uh, and they got out of debt two years early. What a great testimony that is from one of our young couples. Uh, he's away this weekend. She's sick. Uh, so uh, otherwise they'd be up here in person to share that with you. But um, that's a great story. But I, I suspect that some of you might be sitting there with a question. Okay, what if I give 10% and I'm still struggling financially? What if I'm giving 10% and I still struggle? I mean, some of you might have tried giving 10% and your car's still breaking down and you're still struggling financially. And if that's true for you, remember that we said that not all of the blessings from giving are financial blessings. In fact, I don't even think the best blessings are financial, but some of them are. Um, but if that was the case, then I would want to also check the other areas of my life and see if there's some other areas that aren't matching God's plan for me, or I might just want to uh, figure out if God is trying to help me to trust him more. But now the bottom line is deciding to follow God completely, and following God completely means I do what God asks me to do, even if he doesn't bless right away. Look at what the men in the Old Testament who the king was going to punish by throwing them into a fiery furnace. Look at what they said to the king. The three men replied, your majesty, we don't need to defend ourselves. The God we worship can save us from you and from your flaming furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still won't worship your gods and the gold statue you have set up. I believe that God will bless you when you obey him just like he did when he rescued these guys from that fiery furnace. But obedience says, God, I love you enough that even if you don't, I'm still going to do what you want me to do. Even if you don't bless me, I'm still going to obey you. Now, if you're going to make this decision today to follow God completely in this area, let me give you two practical suggestions. The first is this, do it now. Do it right away. Do it now. I know people who have tiptoed into uh, obedience in the area of tithing. You know, they've increased their giving 2% a year until they get there. Or they've increased their giving $20 a month until they get there. And they kind of walk their way from uh, giving less to obediently giving 10%. And that's worked for some people. But I want to challenge you not to tiptoe towards tithing, but to dive right in, to start giving the full 10% right now. I believe that uh, your faith will be stretched even more if you do that. I believe you will be forced to trust God more than you're trusting your spreadsheet, and you will see God work in huge ways. I know some of you really don't think it's possible. You just don't think there's no, you're thinking there's no way in the world I could give 10%, but I think you can. Here's my theory. If your boss walked in tomorrow and said, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to cut your salary 10%, you wouldn't like it. You'd complain. You might look for a new job, but you probably wouldn't lose your house and your car and you probably wouldn't go hungry. You'd manage to figure out a way to get by and that means that you can start giving 10% right now because that doesn't even factor in how God promises that when you are obedient to him, he's going to flood you with blessings. So I challenge you 
to decide to do it now. Secondly, decide it once. Decide it once. One of the problems with our commitment to dieting and to giving and to exercise is we make that decision and we really mean it. And then we fall back from our commitment. We end up having to make the same decision several times. And one of the ways that you can avoid that with your giving is to set it up in advance, to give through our website or through your bank. Schedule your 10% to come out when you get paid so you don't have to remember to bring money to church or your checkbook. Uh, you don't have to make that same decision several times. Over half of the tithes and offerings that we receive as a church don't come in that offering bag we pass around. They come online. They come through our kiosk or through our giving app. And so decide it once. Decide it now and decide it once. Let's move on and talk about one other way that you can decide to follow God, and that's this. Make it an act of worship. Make it an act of worship. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 talk about giving, and yet we haven't talked much about them in this series so far. Let's do that now. Now, there are several things that you need to know about this passage of Scripture. First, in context, the people that it was written to, in their mind, it was probably the most guilt-producing passage about money that was ever written. In their mind, it was not a pleasant passage. It produced a lot of guilt. I mean, if you read chapter 8 and chapter 9, you will find this. The people had promised to give a big special offering uh, and the offering was to feed people who were hungry. And apparently, they had not kept their commitment. And so Paul says several things to them that might have made them feel guilty, things that I would feel uncomfortable saying to people today. He says, poorer people than you have given more than you've given. He says that he has been bragging about how generous they are and he would be personally embarrassed if they didn't give what they had committed to give. He says that he is going to send someone to visit them to collect, to pick up the offering that they have promised to give. And he even says, I'm not commanding you to give, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing what you give to this offering to what other people have given. So after he says all of these hard things, then he says this. Let me read from chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now here's the interesting thing. We take these verses, the verses that I just read are often pulled completely out of the context of this letter, and they're used by Christians to say that God no longer expects us to give 
10% or more of our income, that we're not supposed to give reluctantly or under compulsion. We're supposed to be cheerful givers. But in context, number one, the passage is specifically talking about a special offering money that people had promised to give over and above the 10% that they were already giving so that a special need could be met. But secondly, these verses that people use to say that fall after one of the biggest examples of arm twisting to get people to keep their giving commitment that you ever read in the Bible. Words so bold that I would have trouble being this bold when it comes to talking to people about giving. So why are these words here? They don't seem to fit in the midst of that passage. Well, Paul wants them to keep their promise. He wants them to obey God but more than anything else, he wants them to learn to give, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it's an act of worship. Because it's an act of worship. He doesn't want them to resent it. He doesn't want them to give out of duty or compulsion. He wants them to experience the joy of giving. And that's what I want for you too. I don't want you to resent it. I don't want you to give out a duty. I want it to be for you an act of worship. I want you to experience the joy every time you give, saying to Jesus, Jesus, you have my heart. You have my loyalty. You have my trust. You are worth this and so much more. I trust you and I depend on you completely. Earlier in this series, we talked about the fact that there are four levels of giving, and all of us are on one of these levels. The first level is hesitant giving, and this is people who don't know if they can trust God yet, and they don't, really don't know if they can afford to give. The second level is obedient giving, and this is doing what we're supposed to do, but not really anything else. And then there was abundant giving, and this is bringing God's 10% and giving an offering above and beyond that. And then the last level was extravagant giving. And this is giving sacrificially. This is when you love to give and you look for ways that you can give even more. Where you look for ways to give. And our goal is for everyone at Impact everyone who calls this church their home, that we would all grow to become extravagant givers out of a heart of worship, out of a heart of worship. So what kind of giver are you going to be? What level will you be on? Well, that will depend on how much you want to express love and worship to God and how much you want him to bless you. That's what will determine that. And even in this passage where he makes people feel guilty about not keeping their commitment, he reminds them of God's promise to bless people who worship him in this way. I start with verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you uh, 
have proved yourself. Men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Did you catch it? We will be made rich in every way, not so we can have more, but so that we can be generous on every occasion, so that we can give more. And the more generous you are, the more people will thank God. The more people will be drawn to him. The more people will worship him. They will praise God for your obedience. They'll praise God for your obedience. Write this down. Obeying God by giving 10% or more will result in you being blessed by God and you being a blessing to others. So today is the day to decide. Stop trying to have it both ways. Decide to follow God completely and to make it an act of worship. In your bulletin today, there is a commitment card. Will you please take it out right now? And I'm going to ask you to make a decision today in a very tangible way. The question is, are you going to obey and do it God's way or are you going to keep trying it your way? I'm asking you to fill out that card right now. So take it out. And decide what circle you're going to mark. Uh, are you committing to giving 10% for the very first time? If so, that top circle is for you. Um, if you've been giving 10% already and you're going to move above 10%, then you mark the second box. If you're going to continue giving 10%, you've been doing that, you're going to continue, mark the third box. And if you're going to continue giving more than 10%, then you can mark that last circle. And then I want you to do something that's not going to feel right to you at first, but I want you to sign this card. I want you to actually put your signature on it. Here's why. We sign the important things in our life. We sign important things in our life. We sign college applications. We sign wedding licenses. We sign when we buy a car. We sign about 600 times when we buy a house. We sign the important things in our life and the commitment that you are making right now is a huge, significant commitment in your life. It really is an important thing. And so you need to sign this card. Go ahead and put your signature on it. Next, print your name clearly so that we can read it because we can't read your signature sometimes. And if you aren't sure that we have your physical address, would you write that clearly somewhere on the card? Because we're going to send this card back to you. We want you to put it in your Bible or in your journal or somewhere where you will see it and be reminded of this significant time in your life. And lastly, today is March 17th, 2019. I want you to put that date on your card because you are never going to forget this day. If you are making this decision for the first time, today is a defining moment in your relationship with God as you take this step, as you go from a, a hesitant giver to an obedient giver or an obedient giver to an abundant giver or an abundant giver to an extravagant giver, you are going to be blessed and you're never going to forget this date. So put that date right there on the card. And that's an important thing. Now in a few minutes, I'm gonna pray and then we're going to pass the offering bags again 
and I want you to put in this card. We're going to make our commitment together by returning these cards. But while you're finishing filling them out, I want to go back to focusing on how God will use us what, and what we give to influence others. In her book, Jesus Life Coach, Lori Beth Jones writes this, Jesus on earth never created something from nothing. Jesus used water that was already there in order to make wine. He used a fish's mouth to deliver a coin to pay the temple tax. He fed 5,000 by first taking a piece of bread that had been offered to him. When Elijah needed food, he approached a starving widow who said she had enough crust left to feed only herself and her son. And he asked her if she had any oil in the house. She said there was, that she was just about out of that too. You see, God has a way of meeting people when they're hanging by a thread and then asking them for more rope. And when the trusting widow brought her jar of oil, the oil was miraculously multiplied, leaving her not only enough for her lamp, but also enough to sell and support herself and her son. She goes on to say there are two key principles here. The first is that surrender of what you have is always required. Surrender of what you have is always required. Had the wedding caterers not been willing to bring jars of water, there would have been no wine. Had the little boy not given up his lunch, there would have been no picnic. Had the widow hidden her measly little jar of oil, it would have sputtered out and left her and her son in darkness. So whatever God is asking you to do, do. Surrender. Give it up. The second principle to remember is that whatever you offer up is going to change form. It may look broken. It may look smashed to smithereens in the process but it will be multiplied. The resources you began with will not be recognizable to you when you're through. Their essence might be the same, but they will be multiplied. Whether it's a picnic basket with, left, with food left over when you thought you had enough for yourself, uh, or a boat that is about to go under with all the fish that are flopping on its deck, you will be amazed at what the Lord will do for you, through you, if you offer him what you have. Now the people that she writes about here, all these people in the Bible that she referenced had a great story to tell about how God had used them and blessed them because they trusted him enough to give. I often wonder about that little boy that gave his lunch and the lunch fed over 5,000 people. I wonder how he talked about that for the rest of his life, how he sat around and told his children and his grandchildren about the day that he gave and Jesus used his lunch to feed a multitude of people. Do you want a great story of how God has used you? You want a great story? Realize until we give Nothing happens. Until we give, we're not going to have a great story. Until we give, nothing happens. But when we let go of what's in our hands, when we give it to God, then God will let go of what's in his hands and the miracles will begin.